Spirit Switchboard, airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 New Orleans. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spirit Switchboard. I am your host, Carrie Lynn Shellhorn, and you are joining me live on the United Public Radio Network and the UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 New Orleans. This week on Spirit Switchboard, um, I have my guest, Mark Ireland. Mark Ireland is the co-founder of Helping Parents Heal, an organization with more than 24,000 members that assist bereaved parents worldwide. He has participated in mediumship studies conducted by the University of Arizona and the University of Virginia, and currently operates a medium certification program. He's the author of Soul Shift and his just released book, The Persistence of the Soul which is what we're going to talk about today. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. This was a really um, interesting uh, segment for me to prepare for, um, personally and professionally. Um, I have been able to see and connect with people that are crossed over from the time I was little. And so in reading this book, um, there was that perspective of, I have four children. And so from their perspective, their journey in being uh, my kiddo, I didn't do this work their whole life, but I, you know, I was, I was thinking about my children and you and your family structure. And then I was thinking about um, how I'm a ferocious reader. I love books. I have stacks of books of all kinds everywhere. I'm a ferocious reader. Um, and then I was thinking about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I read um, like the Chronicles of Narnia as a, as a child. And then I read it again as an adult to my children and had a totally different perspective of that book. So for you, that journey of mediumship, um, you have different perspectives from different age groups in in how you were involved in that. So there's just so much. There's I just have lots of questions. <laughs> oh, fire away. <laughs> yeah, lots. So can you, um, I know I'm giving a little bit away, but for those people who don't know you, can you give us a little bit of a background about you and your connection to mediumship? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I grew up with a father who was a pretty prominent psychic and medium, but he was kind of ahead of the curve. This was, you know, he was well known in the, I'd say, even in the late, mid to late 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, he counseled, um, well, initially he came up through the NSAC, which is the National Spiritualist Association of Churches, because back right. in the day that, that was kind of the environment. And for some folks, it still is. Um, he he later branched out and did his own church because um, he was he really didn't like dogma that much. He preferred mm -hmm. to have people kind of to, to learn through experience and come to their own conclusions while right. providing evidence and and uh, and lessons and things. But um, so I grew up with a household where this was just an everyday occurrence. Dad always knew what was going on. You couldn't get away with stuff. And then um, 
when I would either see him in church and then later in, in public venues because he kind of branched out and he wanted to reach more people. And that was more through psychic demonstrations. And he was right. just trying to open people's minds to consider maybe they're more than just a brain and a body. You know, maybe there's something yeah. more to this whole experience. But growing up with that, I also saw the mediumship side and uh, even sometimes spontaneously in a public venue to a secular audience while doing a psychic demonstration, spirit would pop through now and then with specifics, first and last names, hobbies, the relationship to the sit, the person there, all yeah. those kinds of things. So it really gave me a lot of confidence at a young age as to, wow, you know, there really is more than just this. I couldn't wrap my arms around how it works or, you know, how all that is, but I just knew in some way that, you know, we're more than just this physical structure and um, which was great. Although my dad and I were two different people. So he always said I was very psychic and I've had a lot of psychic kind of episodes through my life and some mediumship ones too, but they've been sporadic and I never really focused on it because who wants to be their parent, right? <laughs> well, this is it. My children don't. My yeah. children definitely have those um, tendencies and, and qualities, but definitely are wanting to carve their own path in, in life. And for me, it was encouraging them to blend that that's their normal to have those and how can it um, service them to be of service within their community and the, the choices that they make for professions and stuff. Right. Right. So, you know, growing up, so when he branched out, then he was suddenly on TV shows and uh, I have a great clip of him doing a, a psychic demonstration on the Steve Allen show in 1971. People can go to my website and, and see that and some other stuff, but we'll get into that later. Uh, he became a personal psychic to Mae West. I got to meet her when I was 19 years old. Um, wow. Glenn Ford, um, David Jansen, Amanda Blake, which is who is Miss Kitty on Gunsmoke, for those all of us to know who that is. Right. <laughs> but really, your dad probably didn't approach any of those sessions differently, whether it was someone who we would now say like the Walmart greeter or somebody that works at a fast food restaurant or somebody that was famous. The approach is always going to be the same. Yeah. Well, he loved people. And, yeah. Um, from all walks of life and embraced everybody pretty much. Um, and he, I believe he counseled the Eisenhower family as well. Cause I have a card wow. from Ma Mamie Eisenhower dated 1956, congratulating my father on behalf of her and the president. Um, right. And that's when my parents got married. So that's pretty cool. Wow. So I grew up with that. Um, but again, I went in a different way, a different path. Yeah. I still always appreciated my dad's abilities. I took people to see him. I wanted other people to understand. Um, but I went in, you know, I went to college, I got a degree, I got married at a young age, had two kids, two boys, I was just cruising along and kind of following the worldly path, you know, of career right. and, and all that kind of uh, worldly success kind of measurements. Um, I never let go of the spiritual side. It just wasn't first and foremost in my life until January 2004, when my 18 year old son, Brandon, was hiking behind our home or went hiking behind our home in Scottsdale, Arizona. I had a bad premonition about it that day. He tried to talk him out of going. He went anyhow. And to cut to the chase, you know, a few later that day, we got an emergency call, rushed back, found out that um, he had been feeling ill on the side of the mountain. And by the time we got there, there was a horde of spectators, fire truck, ambulance, mm -hmm. helicopter. We were introduced to a chaplain. As soon as that happened, I'm like, oh, no. 
because they don't introduce you to a chaplain for, to tell you good news. No. And uh, within a few minutes, we were informed that he had passed. I had to actually ask the guy, did my son pass? So that was probably the lowest point in my life, to be frank. No matter what your beliefs yeah. are or what your knowledge of there being more is, to have your kid ripped out of your life like that in, in a physical sense is, is pretty brutal. Yeah. So, but that was really the catalyst that brought me back into my dad's field and put a lot more emphasis on the spiritual side. And it led me down a journey um, where I started having different experiences. I met with other mediums and I kind of took on the, a journalistic hat there uh, for my first book and kind of yeah. explored a lot of territory, not just reading what my dad did, but my own exploration, um, meeting researchers in the field of parapsychology and psychical research meeting top mediums and and uh, a number of things. So I can get any details on that um, and share some of those experiences, but I thought I'd let you tell yeah. me where you'd like to go. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that's what I um, have appreciated is uh, the way that you have left brain, right brain approached the whole concept. Um, and in looking at the book, it, there's no intention to sway anyone one way or the other. It's here's what I know to be my truth. Here's what I know scientifically. And you just lay it out for people to read and process in, in their own time, right? Yeah. And I think that's a lot like my dad, too. Uh, I learned that from him, I think, in terms of letting people form their own opinions. I'm not going to push dogma down your throat. What I'm going to do is I feel like I have a story to share and experiences to share. I know, you know, a lot of the history and the research. I'm going to share that too. That's what's kind of unusual about this book. It's kind of two books in one. It is. It's a string really. of personal stories supported yeah. by evidence and by other information. So it's kind of a scholarly book, but at the same time, it's got some memoir feel to it as well. So I think, you know, some readers just want those stories. They don't really care about the science. They're already believers and they'll enjoy that part where maybe others, you know, more men typically are going to be more, you know, the left brain variety yeah. engineer types. And they're going to yeah. want that, you know, uh, to, to supplement it. So they may read more of the other stuff and some yeah. may read all of it. Um, so that's what's unusual about this book versus my first one. And there was actually the first one was pretty balanced as well. But that's kind of where I'm coming from. And really, it's I almost feel like my purpose here, the way I am and the, the time that I had in the business world and all that really served me well now to speak to all audiences in a very mm -hmm. grounded way and be believable and, and, yeah. and trusted. Yeah. I just uh, going to do a little bit of saying hello. There's a number of people here. Uh, joining us, um, just saying hello to Tom, uh, Brenda, uh, Sandra. I'm really sorry, those who are uh, joining us through Facebook, if you haven't signed up for an account uh, through StreamYard, we can't see who you are. So, but thank you very much for, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. I know, oh, Sandra, hello, Sandra. Thanks for joining us. Um, I know that. One of the things, um, well, I tend to ask when men come to like the larger events that I've done, um, especially I do these events uh, at, at restaurants, I'll ask them if they were voluntold or if they volunteered uh, to participate. Because a lot of times the men come to those events because they were, they're tagging along. Um, and 
I had a, an interesting experience. Um, I close my eyes a lot when I'm working because it's just easier for me to do that uh, with my eyes closed. So I have my eyes closed and I'm delivering these messages and it looks like 3D in my head. It's really hard to explain, but that's kind of how it looks when I close my eyes. And um, there was a couple in the corner and the the husband wrote, where's all the Hungarians? And he wrote it on a piece of paper and he slipped it uh, to his partner across. And as he had slipped the paper, I started having people coming through <laughs> that that were Hungarian. So like spirit has, is participating with us in so many subtle ways that we maybe are not open to. And, and um, I, that was one of the things that I appreciate. And again, your approach is you're just asking people to be an open-minded skeptic. It's okay mm -hmm. to be a skeptic and it's better for people to be a skeptic so that they can choose wisely where they seek out uh, support. Right. No, I, I think so. And like I said, it's good to be an open-minded skeptic. There are skeptics that are really not skeptics. They're just debunkers. They've already got a, a worldview that's yeah. based on materialism and the idea that there's nothing more than just physical existence and matter and the brain generates consciousness. So they, they're just out to try and prove that, but there's no way of proving that because, <laughs> well, quantum mechanics and other things point to yeah. what I think is the the, per, the idea that um, consciousness is primary. And it's, it's money too, or belief systems, like really strong yeah. faith belief systems as well too, that can uh, keep people uh, closed to that to that concept, right? Yeah, that's really why I had those couple of chapters. I had, you know, the one chapter on the skeptics and how do you, how do you view the world now? Do you, are you locked into a worldview and asking people to question themselves? Like, have you really? Are you really open minded? Are you willing to look at evidence and and consider your experiences or not? And then conversely, there's a lot of fear people have who are in, you know, more fundamentalist type religions that maybe they don't even really know their own scripture that well or where it came from, who wrote it, when it was written. They just yeah. take, for you know, the prevailing view, the traditional view within their churches, which, you know, oftentimes are, um, I think, more about control and less about, you know, people really following a path uh, of truth. Um, so, yeah, that's why I had that content in there to try and get people's to take an open minded look at this stuff. And I think everyone's got some level of intuition, whether it be mm -hmm. a lot like my dad or just a little. But most people would never pay attention to it. They would just dismiss it. There's a. Um... I don't want to go. I know that I can go sideways really quickly. So I just want to find I wrote down a quote that you had wrote. And I just want to see if I can find on because I wrote all these papers. Give me one second. No worries. Oh yeah, this is this is the quote that I I wrote right near the beginning when you were first um, uh, sharing about Brandon. Uh, pain can be the ultimate teacher, but only when one is open to the possibility that you can have um, move forward. Well, in my case, right? yeah, I think in reflecting on what happened, as painful as that was, and as much as I didn't want that to happen. It did open up doors to me doing um, a lot of other work, uh, these books, getting a book of my dad's published after he was long gone um, mm -hmm. that I didn't even know existed, co-founding Helping Parents Heal, which now actually has over 26,000 members, 175 Amazing. affiliates worldwide. 
we're going to have a conference uh, in 24 that's going to draw at least a thousand people. We had one, the last one sold out the hotel and had 900 people. Wow. Six of those people. Now, I don't know if they were speaking about my books or about the organization, but I had at least half a dozen people come to me and say, um, thank you so much. You saved my life. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it worthwhile. And you know that you're doing, you've done something worthwhile. So the pain I had from having one son pass to what felt prematurely to me, but may well have been planned at that point of his physical life has now helped so many other people mm -hmm. that sometimes the price that's paid um, in terms of human suffering um, is just part of the deal, I guess. And it's, I struggle with that. I struggle in finding like, that it may have been a planned or as part of a plan that has never, that whole just has never really sat. Sometimes things just are an awful thing that have happened. And here's the grace I'm going to find in, in growing around that uh, grief and changing the face of it. Uh, Cause it doesn't go away. It's life altering and it's, it stays just the face of it shifts. Right. And I, well, and, it's, and an individual, right. it's an individual process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think some people get stuck like after going through something like that and they're really angry or, you know, super sad and they just kind of go into a dark place and stay there. And there are some ways to heal. I mean, that's what our, that organization is all about, but I think there's a, you know, a number of, of steps, you know, I've observed what I call the five pillars five. of healing. You Please know. share. Okay, so the five pillars of healing are basically the things I observed. I'm not saying they're the only things, but these are the things I have observed from people who came into the organization in the meetings and such, initially just in a really, really bad place. And then later on, were, there had been a switch flipped, you know, and they were a completely different person and they were more uplifted and in a much better place. Um, so the first pillar is support from family and friends. Not everybody can have that though, because some families are not are maybe dysfunctional or, and it's typical of people not to want to talk about it, but the kid, the people whose kid passed usually want to talk about their child, but other people might try and change the subject or it's just not a supportive family. But people that have that, that's, that's a really good pillar to have. Um, second pillar is to meet and build relationships with people who have been through the same thing as you so that we can come in and help with that because we have group meetings and things like that. So once folks have the opportunity to meet other people who are in the same boat, that can be a big help. Third pillar is to, um, and you're not going to ask for people to do this initially right away, but at some point in their healing process to provide service in some way, doesn't matter what it is. They could work at a soup kitchen. They could uh, work for a nonprofit. They could open a Helping Parents Heal Affiliate chapter. They could um, start a foundation to raise money for something charitable, maybe to do with the cause of their child's passing. Um, so the service is the third pillar. Because when you give, it kind of comes back to you and it helps yeah. you heal too. The fourth pillar is a tough one because some people can't get past this one. And that is, it's really a two-sided one. On one hand, it's... Um, to release feelings of guilt that people hold. Uh, almost every parent who has a kid pass say, I should have done this. I should have seen that. Mm -hmm. I could have changed this. I could have changed that. I've done it. But the reality is in most cases, that's not true. You, you, there was nothing you could do. You know, it, it, 
maybe in some rare cases you could, but the bulk of them that I've seen, the parents couldn't have changed the outcome. Um, so they've got to release that and let go of that and just say, what is, what, what, what is, is. Um, but the other side of that is not personal guilt, but more anger and lack of forgiveness for someone else that they're holding accountable, uh, whether it be an accident or something else. Because really, um, that anger that they're holding and lack of forgiveness or giving to someone else really is just hurting them. That's who's getting yeah. hurt by it. That's a tough one, though, because I've seen people that just can't get over that hurdle. It's a tough ask, but it can be done. And I've seen it done by people. And, and that's where acts of service can be helpful. It's yeah. redirecting that energy that's festering. Yeah. And then the last pillar from my, you know, again, my personal list is openness to evidence for the afterlife, spiritual experiences, sharing those spiritual experiences with others. And maybe initially for folks who are unfamiliar with all this stuff, it's just reading some books, maybe reading books by Dr. Raymond Moody about near-death experiences or Dr. Evan Alexander, reading a book like mine that kind of covers mediumship and other phenomena, deathbed visions and all these other types of things, but reading those kinds of books. And then maybe at some point, learning a personal spiritual practice for direct connection, um, which uh, I know a lot of mediums provide training for that, for folks to learn how to do it themselves. Not that they're to be mediums, but be their own connector, you know? And mm -hmm. I've had that kind of connection myself in the past and now and then going forward, I expect more of it. Or maybe they, you know, they wanna see a medium. Um, and that's where my mediumship certification program came in really, because as I went on my journey, I met a lot of, kind of jumping ahead here, I met a lot of really okay. highly qualified mediums. But after Soul Shift came out, the first book, I had folks coming to me in droves saying, hey, who can I see? Who, who's a good medium? Well, I knew at that time a half a dozen of them, but they were celebrity mediums mainly, and they had long wait lists and some charged a lot. Right. You know, it's not up to me what they charge. It's their decision what to charge. Um, oftentimes it's based on demand and trying to actually limit demand because they'd just be swamped. But uh, in any event, I felt like there have to be other gifted people out there that are just unknown and undiscovered. So I put this program together back in 2014 and then um, kind of put it out there. And then I had people coming to me like crazy, uh, wanting to apply to go through the certification process. And mine is much more stringent than most of the ones you see I was just going to say, there. it's not an easy, um, mm -hmm. even for the the volunteer people. There's yeah, a there's a lot expected of both the, the sitter and the medium, because the sitter's got a lot of responsibility. On Can the you explain what a sitter is? Some people may not be familiar with that term. Sure. A sitter is simply the recipient of the reading. So um, I'll walk you through kind of the certification process. And I developed this after learning what uh, Dr. Emily Williams Kelly at the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies used for some of her experiments, including the one I participated in. And then I took that as kind of a rough draft and then modified it and tweaked it with help from Tricia Robertson, who's my friend. She was the president of the Scottish Society of Psychical Research. And she's worked with a uh, top medium like Gordon Smith, who I think is one of the best in the world. He's in Scotland um, and did some testing on him and some other mediums with the help of Professor Archie Roy, who since passed, but he was one of the most highly respected scientists in the UK. Anyhow, with all that said, my protocols are that the medium or, you know, the one who wants to achieve certification has to go through five blinded readings 
via Zoom with no video. Now, in the latter part of the reading, they can turn on the video, but in the beginning, they can't have any video. They're not given the name or have any knowledge of who they're reading for. They're given the first name of the person when it first starts, and that's it. And then the reading takes place, and then after maybe 10 to 15 minutes of whatever validations the medium can provide, then the sitter's allowed to ask to hear from a specific person, but first name only. And then, so all of this is recorded at the end the recording has to be transcribed by the sitter. They have to break, you know, mixed statements into individual statements. So like if there's a paragraph of information, they need to break it down to individual statements that can be validated either as correct, incorrect, or indeterminable. And ones they deem highly significant, they can award bonus points for. And there's two levels of bonus points. There's a two-point bonus and a five-point. So as an example, let's say the medium said, I have your son here. His name is Aaron. He liked pizza. Um, he was 18 years old. So each of those, you know, the sitter would have to write son passed, correct or incorrect. Name Aaron, right. correct or incorrect. Pizza, uh, fa favorite food, correct or incorrect. So let's just say, say that the, um, that all that's correct, just hypothetically. Um, and let's just say that, um, the, instead of saying the name Aaron, that the medium said, I've got an A name. Well, the, the sitter might say, hey, that's pretty good. It is my, I have a son pass. He did have an A name. It was Aaron. You gave me the A, so I'll give you a two-point bonus for that. However, if the medium said Aaron, then I might say, that's a five-point bonus for getting the right. name. And the pizza, okay, th that's good. I'll give you two-point bonus. But, oh, it was a pizza with pepperoni, anchovy, and black olive. My God, mm -hmm. that was his favorite. Okay, that's a five. I call those bonus. gold nuggets. Those yeah. are the gold nuggets in it. Right. So anyhow, you put all that together and the medium has to score 75 points or better to pass. So the percentage accuracy uh, is determined by basically, um, we take, again, correct, incorrect, and indeterminable. We push the indeterminable to the side because we can't tell. They could be like a future prediction that hasn't passed. Yeah. They could be like, a piece of information the sitter doesn't know and can't find out because it pertains to someone else. Um, right. So we set those to the side, unless there's an inordinate percentage of those, we limit that to 33%. If it exceeds that, then any additional indeterminables are counted as incorrect. So with all that said, the medium has to have at least 65% incorrect, I mean, 65% correct, and then enough bonus points to hit 75 points to pass. So the 65% equates to 65 points, base points. Now, for mediums, just say 80% correct, it has no bonus points, they're going to pass. Um, I have mediums that have had 95, 98 points. So they were not only very accurate, they had a lot of bonus points too. Right. So that's the long and short. They have to go through five of these and the average of those has to come to 75 points or better with a minimum accuracy of 65%. Um, and in the nine and a half years I've been doing this, I think we've got around 40 mediums that have been certified. Oh, wow. It, uh, one of the things I actually had wrote down to talk to you about was that study with um, Kelly. I'm sorry that I'm not remembering her name, but um, uh, that you had mentioned at the beginning. Uh, uh, Dr. Emily Williams Kelly. Emily, yeah. yeah. Um, just getting published, you know, so they're doing controlled um uh, studies, uh, but having those difficulties. So it was one of the things that I uh, wanted yeah. to. Uh, well, again, you know, it's, it's sad, but academia is still kind of locked into the materialistic mm -hmm. paradigm. 
and they're doing studies on all the stuff we don't care about. And then the thing that's most important to most people, like, why are we here? Where are we going? What happens to yeah. us after we die? They, they can't look at that because, oh, that's nonsensical, you know, well, it's non-material. So, but yet they can, they can claim that they believe in dark matter but yet that can't be proven. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always go back to, and we know that the dog whistle works because the dog responds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, not that I want to equate myself to a dog, but I think that it's just, and for me um, and my children, this is a normal, it's just a, a normal, it's not extraordinary. It's not something, you know, it's just our normal that our brain works this way that we're, receiving or picking up or it opens up or whatever it may be for us. We don't think of it as anything out of the ordinary. It's a human capacity for everyone to varying degrees. So I think you, you know, you're either born with a little bit of it or a lot of it, and then you either develop it or you don't. If you take somebody who is really, really gifted naturally has that ability like my dad did and he worked to develop they end up at the very high end in terms of yeah. their ability to be highly specific, you know, with all this kinds of information that's just non-questionable. Uh, I actually met a me. I was in Phoenix uh, last week and met with two mediums. One I already knew as a close friend and the other one I was introduced to and I had heard good things about her, but she just was, it was a kind of mind blowing. Um, so she was at that really high level, you know, yeah. and I think she had had it her whole life and she actually in her case, she never really had, a mentor or anything, but she did um, work with spirit to kind of train her um, yeah. roundabout. But I'll give you a couple of things that she told me just because I haven't shared these in any other interview and I like to freshen things up now and then. Yeah. But, but you know, you we were talking sure. and I was explaining about my son, Brandon, that he was a bass player. And then she goes, well, he's here. And he said that he got a new bass with a fifth string. I mean, he said, she said with an extra string. Well, he had a four-string bass, and most bass guitars are four strings. But three months before he passed on his birthday, we gave him a gift of a new bass, and it had a five. A fifth, it was a five-string bass. Right. So that was pretty cool and pretty specific too. She then said, um, "Okay, he's showing me a guitar with all the strings off, like it's being restrung." Well, two days before I'd been in Prescott visiting a friend, and she had a Martin guitar that that had worn-out strings and. She said, oh, I need new strings on this. And she was going to have the guitar store do it. And I said, you don't need to do that. Just buy the, I'll buy the strings and I'll put them on for you. So I restrung her guitar that day. Oh, that's so That was one, more one of those things of observing or giving you an affirmation. Now, you could say that was a psychic hit, maybe, but she was already connected to Brandon. So that made more sense to me that he was providing that information. Yeah. Um, and asking somebody like her how it feels, she, uh it feels very different when it's a psychic because it's coming. You don't feel pulled up. Like you're connecting up. That energy feels very different when you're connecting with spirit when it, and yeah, it's a push pull. It's a, it's a very different vibe when it's a psychic reading than when it's mediumship. And it's exciting to watch and observe people receive those messages. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. And she, I mean, I heard some other things there. I don't have time for it here. And yeah, we have lots personal. of time. Well, it's kind of too personal because it was about her, her life and her oh. situation. <laughs> yeah, then but, maybe not. <laughs> but um, yeah, she did give me one, a couple more. But one, she, she says, conveying, like in Brian's words, my brother just moved. Well, he did. He just moved uh, probably three weeks ago. So, right. and that was none of these things were things she would have known. So, um, yeah. 
anyhow, it's just nice when you meet people with that ability because, you know, there are a lot of folks too from the certification process. I can tell you currently, I'd say only like 15 to 20% of these people are passing. And it's not that people don't have ability. They just don't have the degree of ability I'm looking for um, because I'm referring grieving people to them. So I have to have the cream of the crop, you know. And, There's a responsibility. Yeah. So some of these people are good and can't pass. Some folks are a little deluded. You know, they they want they want that so bad or they want to be that. Um, and they, they just don't have it or don't have it to that degree, you know. So I've never understood people saying to me that it must be nice to have that ability. Like, mm, I mean, yes. And be, I am always um, humbled in being of service for people, but it's not. Um, uh, yeah, we're still human, too. So there's an emotional um, aspect to it, a physical aspect to it. it. It's a lot. And the weight of responsibility and accountability that comes with it. And there's no governing board. There's no governing board for this. And we, um, I just want to share this comment from Linda Earl really quickly before I continue on that conversation. So Linda um, is sharing, I now I want Mark's books. This is also interesting. Awesome. Thank you, Linda. I think you'll enjoy them. <laughs> I know she will. I know that Linda will. Um, yeah, people have asked me in a lot of these interviews, they'll say, well, why, why don't you develop this? Why don't you become a medium? And mm -hmm. I I think I could if I wanted to, but, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's just where I'm in life. I think for one thing, that concern over grieving people, that's a big responsibility. Huge. So that's a big burden. And um, while I have successfully done this, you know, kind of in test situations, testing myself or just spontaneously, like you read this story about me at the Golden Gate Spiritualist Church in San Francisco, yeah. if you remember that story. Yeah. Um, but I think part of it is just like where I'm at in life and the things that I do um, right now, the role that I have, if I said all of a sudden, okay, now I'm going to be a medium, I kind of throw away the approach that I have today, which is more journalistic and more observer kind of positioning. So it's just, um, it's uh, not really on my radar right now as something that I want to really dive into to be that. Right. And it would feel different if that was, you know, where uh, that alignment and path was to take you, the the signs and synchronicities and the pull would, would be there in a, in a different way. So, I mean, if it it's good that you understand where you're needing to be of service and, and stepping into that role, which is already huge. And the, the demand in um, not need, but I guess need the pe that people need that connection from you. I'm just going to share Megan is saying it's already like it's really heavy work. It's really heavy work doing all of it, mediumship and sharing your story, I'm sure as well, too. And aspects. I mean, it's it's wonderful to hear the other parts uh, to Brandon's story, too, not uh just his death story, being able for you to share who he was and, and be able to uh, connect with him on a different level other than just that story. There's more to him than that story, right? Yeah. And, I, and I think that's why most people uh, seek out uh, mediums uh, is for that um, hope of connection, right? And totally. And I think that, you know, if I look back to the the very beginning, first few days after Brandon passed, 
that's really what I was looking for more than anything was connection. I, you know, it, people would just say, oh, you want to, I can't remember what they would say, like you want to communicate or this or that. I just wanted that sense of connection. Yeah. And really the first thing that happened, because this is in my other book that you haven't read, so this will be a new story I, for you. I've listened to a couple of articles or listened to a couple of oh. interviews, though. So I do know this story, and I think it's absolutely wonderful with your uncle. Yeah, even before the thing with my uncle, and I'll touch on that, too. But yeah. the very first thing I did, I believe it was the first thing before my uncle's thing, but I think it was in the first couple of days, I wanted a direct connection. So I went into a darkened closet, which is my walk-in closet, sat down and tried to meditate. And then silently, it's hard usually for me to clear my mind, but it was pretty clear. And I saw Brandon's face go by in my third eye, like my in my mind's eye. Of smiling and glowing, just like he was joyful and happy, which felt great. But then right after that, I saw a symbol and it was a cross with an oval loop at the top. Now, at the time I'd seen those, but I didn't really know what they represented. So me being Mr. Left Brain had to go to Google and look it up. Yep. And lo and behold, I found out that it's an Ankh, which is the oldest cross of human history from the Egyptians. The lower portion, the cross part representing physical life and the oval loop representing eternal life. So what I got was Brandon and Joy, and then he's in eternal life. Yeah. And the best part of that is I didn't know what it meant. So it's not like my subconscious manufactured that to make me feel better. I had to go get this objective piece of information, yeah. which was pretty satisfying. Yeah. And then it was the third day, I think, that I talked to my uncle when I was in the mortuary. Now, my dad had passed by that time. He had been gone for quite a while. Um, but... Um, Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Having. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. On the day Brandon passed, I talked to my uncle briefly, and he said, can I do anything for you? And I said, well, if you can get any messages, I would really appreciate it. And it was three days later or the third day that I was in the mortuary. We connected by cell phone, and he said, hey, Mark, I tried to connect last night, but I just couldn't get anything. However, this morning I was doing my morning meditation, and your dad came to me. He wanted you to know that he was there when Brandon uh, crossed over. Brandon was a little confused about what was going on, but he helped him adjust. He wanted you to know that, or Brandon wanted you to know you're the best parents he ever could have had, which is the warm and fuzzy thing we like to hear. But yeah. then he gave me the evidence before the autopsy, and he's because we didn't know the cause of death. And he said, uh, Brandon, your dad said Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen in his bloodstream that caused his heart to fail. Then it was a couple of days later, the physician who conducted the autopsy called me and told me that Brandon suffered a severe asthma attack which drove down his blood oxygen levels and caused cardiac arrest. So my uncle gave me that before 
Wow. The autopsy was done. So that was really the first thing in a series of things that took place. And this is dad's brother. So. Correct. Yeah. Dad's brother. Yep. Um, and he was very similar to my dad in many ways, as far as abilities go. Personality wise, way different. <laughs> I was <laughs> actually more like <laughs> Is that we're still human too. Like we, we have this and we have, you know, our faults and failings and positive parts. Like they're, uh, one of the things that I say frequently, especially if I'm teaching people or talking about this is um, our personal healing and accountability matters because the more that we're doing our own personal healing, we're moving any of those um, blocks or potential blocks out of, out of the way so that we have clear um, uh, communication, the quality and the level that we can reach is much higher when we're having that accountability. But I mean, we're still people too. Like my, if you, my kids used to cringe, cringe if they had to come with me when I was working and they're like, we really don't like when people ask, do you have the gift? Or we get really tired. <laughs> we get really tired of people saying your mom's so wonderful. And I'm like, do you tell them that I nag you for like not helping me with dishes and not taking that? Like, I'm still just a mom at the same time. Like we just have these, you know, experiences. So one of those questions that I had for you was, you know, in those experiences since uh, Brandon's death and your dad's uh uh, what's the proper term? Post posthumous book. The book that is uh, posthumous. I think posthumous. Thank you. Release of his book. Yeah, like have you and your books and and your uh, personal journey has your uh, thought process and emotions or expectations shifted or not necessarily healed but shifted in who and how the expectations you thought you had of your dad, uh, what they were for yourself, um, ha has it morphed and changed in, in what sort of ways? I think so. I, I mean, to be honest, when my dad passed when I was 32 or 33, and I, pro I judged him, you know, and now I don't judge him, you know, and right. I, I looked at the things that he did that I thought he sh you know, should have done differently in his yeah. life. And things um, that didn't make any sense to me because we're different people. We wouldn't have done the same things. Yeah. And then I, I came to grow up enough to understand you got to love people for who they are, not for you know who you want them to be. <laughs> you yeah. you got enough of your own baggage. You and know? that brings and, forgiveness for yourself too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you have to have to love yourself really. You know. Yeah. And I feel I'm comfortable with myself. I mean, I'm I'm a flawed person too, but yeah. I'm. I don't hate myself. You know, I, I feel like I'm pretty well adjusted. So, um, and as far as Brandon goes, he was a great kid. It, you know, I think back to the, the saying only the good die young. I mean, it almost, I see so many people that do pass early that seem like they're more advanced souls in a way. And he was yes. that in that, in that he was non-judgmental in that he embraced people who were not popular and befriended people. He always mm -hmm. cared about others. Um, he was, you know, uh, just a wonderful kid and he's a wonderful soul, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And he's helping you. Like he's playing such a huge role in this journey. And that's a question that gets asked a lot 
of me with bereaved parents is what are their children doing on the other side? Like, because they're seeing from this, they're not having prom, they're missing out on marriage or relationships, or, you know, is there a path for them on the other side? And, and there is, and, you know, Brandon's kind of working in unison with you and helping this. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think he's had a hand in the organization and the other leaders as well, like Elizabeth Boyson and Irene Vuvalidis, who run the day-to-day -day operations of Helping Parents Heal. You know, their kids are probably involved. And I've heard from a number of uh, mediums that, you know, Brandon helps other kids when they cross over, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. So it, it's hard to say. I, I view life as um, an evolutionary process. We look not biological evolution, but soul evolution. Mm -hmm. and we're here, it's kind of a meat grinder world. You know, you go through a lot of things that challenge you and you suffer, but you hopefully grow and you become more compassionate, more understanding and, and a better person at a soul level so that when you pass, um, that carries forward. Agree. Um, and this is not uh, seeking out a, a medium. I, I always look at it as um, a, a pie puzzle. And the mediumship aspect is just this one little piece of that healing journey. Like it does not replace uh, traditional therapy, does not replace any. It's just a piece that adds and, and um, can help uh, with that process. It's just a sliver of, of a healing journey. It, it's not the, the whole part. Well, remember my five pillars of healing. Only exactly. one of the pillars had to do with afterlife evidence and mediumship yeah. is just one form of afterlife evidence. Exactly. So you need the rest. I don't want people to become medium junkies. I don't want them trying to get, no. a, you know, 15 readings over a three month period with five different people or whatever, you know, it's not healthy. They have to, you know, part of it is a physiological thing with grief and you have to go through it. There's no getting around it. And the people that don't, they're just putting it on the back burner and it's going to pop through someday if they don't deal with it. Um, you know, we dealt with it and we suffered, but we healed much faster than those people. And I think part of that was because of my background and because of these, the support we had and the other things that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and we were involved with service pretty quickly, too, because I was counseling other folks. I, um, in my first book, I remember I talked about how I was at a, a company function and this one gentleman was telling me about he, how his son had disappointed him and how he wasn't talking to the son right now because I think he had gotten somebody pregnant. And, and I said, I just told him, I said, I'd trade places with you right now, you know? And, yeah. you know, once he realized uh, that scenario, he, you know, he took it in another vein. The next time I saw him, he said, Hey, uh, you, I want to thank you. You really made me see things from a different perspective. And he had reached out to his son and they'd patch things up. Oh, and good. so just, you know, things you don't even think of. It's all these little things you end up doing in life can have a huge impact on other people. Yeah. It, 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 it ripples out in ways that maybe you're not seeing until it's uh, brought to your attention. Right. And you're slammed into the middle of it and then you have to, then you have to deal with it. Um. If we go back to uh, your uncle and looking at at that, um, I had had an opportunity to have a community programming television show. And I was so grateful for that experience because everybody really honored the process of what 
I, I do and my intention for the way that I like to work. So a lot of it was I didn't really know anybody who was showing up or the bigger events. Like, I don't know what's, what's happening with that. But um, one of the things that they had asked me to do was research my family structure. And then I found out that my great grandfather used to give readings and do teacups. And I had no clue growing up that that was even part of our, our family journeys. And, you know, it, it helped, uh, not that I, I guess I did, I guess I needed that validation and to feel like there was a community and I wasn't odd. <laughs> you know that it wasn't really the odd odd one and that like when I had stepped into doing this more publicly it was to support my kids because my kids were having those experiences as well too and supporting you know I was having to be of service for my kids and um, helping other kids and parents understand that it can be a normal for them as well too you had your grandmother did you was it your grandmother that started the church like the, your dad really was at the forefront of all of this, but your uncle and, and grandmother came along. Well, even a generation before that, I know one of my dad's grandmothers read tea leaves. So, yeah, you know, even back to that, but my, my grandmother, his mom did end up becoming a trans medium, but my dad kind of uh, led the way. So at the age of 12, he stumbled into a spiritualist camp. And at the time he went there, he had just lost his best buddy a couple of weeks before. They were playing in a stream. And the kid, uh, Melvin McCarty was his name. I'm surprised I remember that. But this Melvin McCarty uh, called by his mother, Melvin, come on, let's go. She was going to take him into town to go to dinner and a movie. And so as he leaves, Melvin says, I'll see you tomorrow, Richard. And my dad said, no, tomorrow you'll be dead. But my dad just blurted it out. He didn't mean to say it. It just came out. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Well, other kids heard him say that, I guess. And the very next morning, um, they were throwing rocks against his window. And my dad opened the window and and they blamed him because the kid had been killed in a car accident that evening. Um, but my dad, it was just a precognitive thing. It, it wasn't like he caused it or anything. No. Um, but anyhow, that was his best buddy or one of his best buddies. So. Fast forward, I'm not sure of the time frame, how much longer it was, but he went to the spiritualist church inside of the spiritualist camp. He goes in and this minister um, tapes and blindfolds his eyes and asks for people to write messages on paper and then send them up in a basket. And the woman- and It was the skeptics, a, was it not the skeptics? Like he, your, your dad did not tape his eyes. Somebody else was responsible so they could see that- well, I'll get to his process in just a minute. Oh, but sorry. This, this is when my dad, he's observing this for the first time somebody oh, else. Oh, gotcha. So yep. he's a 12-year-old kid. He stumbles into Bye. the spiritualist church, and the woman gave him a piece of paper, and he says, well, what do I write? And she goes, if you don't have a question, just write a message, please, and then put your name down. So he did that. He sends it up, and then that minister got his message. And he says, um, "Young uh, Richard Ireland. And, and my dad says, yes, I'm here. He says, well, I have a young man here who has passed, but and he's giving you a secret name. And he says, the name is Paisy. Well, my dad and the friend had always developed these secret code names and that no one else knew. And this name the kid had was Paisy. So my dad was really intrigued. And so as the minister went on, he says, you know, someday, young man, you're going to be doing what I do. And then it ended up being he mentored my dad oh, and helped him develop. Awesome. But so if. If people ever want to see what my dad did, 
they can, um, like I said, again, on my website, markirelandauthor.com, there's a link on the front page, bottom left, that says, see Richard Ireland live. It will show him on the Steve Allen show doing this demonstration. And so what he would typically do is take 10 strips of Johnson Johnson medical tape, which is completely opaque and very yeah. sticky, and put it here, here, completely cover his eyes. He'd even cover his nostril because someone made the assertion that he'd had holes bored between his eyes and his nostrils, which is ridiculous. Skeptics. It was more for, for, I don't know, for effect. And then he had three black opaque blindfolds go over that. And then he put two more strips of tape, one below this cheek, uh, below above the blindfold and down onto the cheek. So there's no way he could see down. So yeah. somebody thought there was still some way. Anyhow, um, and then he would he would give messages. But really his, his whole gift was discovered at the age of five because he was born cross-eyed and his parents took him to the Columbus, Ohio Children's Hospital for corrective surgery on his eyes. After the surgery, his eyes were cupped and bandaged and they actually had him tied down to a bed a nurse felt sorry for him and said, I'll let you up if you promise not to remove the bandages. So he promised. She went on about her rounds, came back, found him throwing a ball against the wall and catching it. And she thought he'd taken the bandages off, but he hadn't. So she was freaked out. She got these other doctors to observe that. And then they tried their own tests on him. They put him in a bed and then had one doctor stand at the foot of the bed and another in the doorway and say, and then when the doorway would talk and say, who's in front of you now? But he'd always get it right. Yeah. So that was kind of when they discovered they had this kind of clairvoyance that was very vivid. Wow. I, I tell people, it's like when you have, um, you know, you have your turkey coma and you're laying down on the couch and your eyes are closed and you know who's coming in. It's vibration. You can feel and know through this other level of vibration. But it was highly. Um, your dad is beyond him. level. He's like that next level. So just, you know, um, there's a man named Tony DePrima who hired my dad in 1967 to work to do his psychic demonstrations at a restaurant that he owned. And Tony had three, uh, two other partners. So there are three partners that own the restaurant. So on three separate occasions, they took a $20 bill and then they recorded the serial number of it for themselves, kept it to themselves, oh. took, took the $20 bill, wrapped it in foil put the foil built inside of this envelope, sealed the envelope and sent it up and said, give me the serial number. And Tony said that on each occasion he was correct. Um, you know, so that's pretty mind blowing. I, I was used to him giving serial numbers all the time, but. Yeah. That was one of the, the things that I had wrote down on the, on my papers to, to chat about if that was something that you felt comfortable was sure. like the, the serial number on the bills. Like he, he was able to, I think it's the Jim, the skeptic Jim. Oh, Jim friend, Samarin, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. a friend with uh, Tony, who was your dad's lawyer, right? Yeah, and, and so Tony was the lawyer and Jim was his guest. And yeah. Jim, in that instance, never even sent the bill up. He just held it. So my dad called him out and said, uh, okay, Jim, um, do you have a bill in your pocket? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, if I give you the serial number, you can hold on to it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, do I get to keep it? And he says, sure. And so he so Jim pulls it up just so no one can see. He's all looking like this, you know, covering it. Yeah. And and he says, okay, I've got one. And my dad says, okay, is it a hundred dollar bill? And then Jim like gulped because he thought no one's going to guess a hundred dollar bill. They might guess a five, 10 or 20, but yeah, it was a hundred dollar bill. And then my dad gave him the serial number. So he, he gave him the bill. But wow. from that point, it kind of switched Jim. He's like, oh my God, this is real. You know, before yeah. that he was just like a total skeptic. 
But then he started really paying attention to the messages my dad was giving to other tables and things like that. And so, yeah. Um, and your dad's intention was not about ego. It was, it, or maybe it was, and I'm, I'm not aware, but it really was about being of service. Like, I think it, from the very beginning, it was about service. Did my dad develop a little ego later in life? Maybe, you know, I, I think right. if you're told how great you are all the time and you let it, that absorb, maybe a little of that, but I would still say to his dying day, he was a compassionate, caring person who put right. other people first. Um, and if he had any ego, I think it was more at the end, it was probably more as a coping mechanism for how he grew up and, you know, he had a rough childhood and things like that. So maybe he's overcompensating in a way. Um, but that's that's psychological talk there. <laughs> yeah. And but again, it's the personal healing, right? Like we're still human too. We still have those that that journey of healing never ends. Well, being rejected in his own family, you know, his dad didn't like it. He thought it was weird. He didn't want him to do it. His brothers said, oh, great mystic one. What do you see today? Oh, you know, yeah. just being mocked by your own family and things like that. So, yeah. but he blazed his own trail. And the more he got that, the more he, he focused on doing it, you know, and doing a good job of it. So, and, um, and this is it being, and you really are driven. And when you end up being that driven, it's not just about uh, needing to be that, that type a controlling for yourself. It's, there's a responsibility, even for how I view it to those spirits that are coming through. Like I feel responsible if they're coming through to me to share their message, I, I need to do that well for them. So it's yeah. being of service for the people you're sitting across from and, uh, who's coming through it in spirit. And a lot of sitters will say, oh, you're great. Thank you so much. You did a great job. And it's like, well, really, I got to thank them. Yeah, uh, exactly. We're just you know, getting just, out of the way. Mm -hmm. I'm an inter intermediary, you know, and they said that there's three participants in a successful reading. It's the medium, the sitter and the person on the other side yeah. working together. Exactly. Exactly. And, and typically it works best if there's an energetic connection of deep love for the two people, the one here on this side and the one on the other, that's when you get your best mediumship work. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to share some of these comments with, with you and see if there's some, if you would like to chime in on it. Um, Megan is saying, I'm constantly trying to remind myself not to obsess over signs and what's next because I don't want to lose sight of the things in front of me. Yeah, it sounds more like, you know, uh, live for today. Don't worry too much about tomorrow. If you get some sort of sign, I don't always look at signs as negative or concerning or whatever. I, I think um, on this next one, I, I wanted to comment on that for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's healthy not to obsess, but you know, if you get to a point where you can, you can sense the difference between imagination and intuition, and you know, you're getting something, then you just have to ask yourself, is there something here for me to pay attention to? But obsessing over it, no, that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, as far as the, the genetic traits, that's true. Um, I meant to talk about this when you mentioned that earlier. That's okay. We're just gonna, I'm just going to read the question because um, uh, for those who listen to the audio later, they're not going to see the question up on the board. So the, the question is coming from Megan, and she's asking or she's commenting there should be more research on genetic traits of mediumship. So this stuff has been done, and there's definitely something to it. Um, I know most recently, uh, Dr. Julie Beischel of the Windbridge Research uh, Center, 
and she's done a lot of research on mediums under controlled conditions, very highly respected. She's a pharmacologist, PhD. So her protocols are, you know, way beyond uh, expectation in terms of being uh, sticking to the scientific method. But she she has pretty much concluded, hey, this follows there's a lineage uh, aspect to this where it follows lines and families. And so while I think I know we're spiritual beings still, we're currently living in a body and our brain serves as a receiver, reducer, sifter of consciousness yeah. for the world we live in. And so we're functioning through this brain. It, it is involved in what we do. And so there's some aspect to the brain of someone who has these abilities versus someone who doesn't. Um, ironically, though, there's also studies, and this is kind of diverging from that question, that um, when they've put electrodes on um, mediums who get into this altered state and start delivering messages, the brain activity almost goes away. It's like there's a lack of brain activity where they expect it to be heightened. Yeah. So that kind of tells you like you're at a spirit level there or something. It's just you're just conveying what's flowing through. Yeah. Um, but but there is definitely a genetic connection in follows family lines. Uh, um, have you heard of Chris Bledsoe? He so he wrote UFO of God. I have not that, and that's all good. He was on a show uh recently called Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, so may not be everybody's cup of tea, but they hooked him up to all of those sort of uh neurological things. He was all hooked up and uh, watching his brain waves, and he can connect with spirit and he uh with UFOs uh uaps and he really believes this is a, being of service for a higher power and it's uh a very spiritual connection for him and so the end result was what shocked everybody there because they thought it that connection would create increased brain activity and it wasn't it put him in this very meditative zen state when they were connecting and you can see physically like the like his shoulders would drop and the, his jaw relaxed and it was this very zen state and and so it it just backs up you know exactly what what yeah. you're saying when well, the, the whole i'm not really into the uaps and ufo thing but i do think that, there's something to it there you know and, and yeah the and, it, and the people who who do have these connections i don't think it may be that dissimilar to connecting with spirit because if they're just other dimensional realities, you know, maybe it's like tuning a radio, you know, on this frequency, you're getting, exactly on this, you're is. getting ET. And um, I mean, I think if there is, it seems like there's something going on there with, with UFOs or whatever, Yeah. but maybe they're extra dimensional, you know, and, or maybe they have the ability to go in and out of different dimensions. And that's why we never really, see them yeah. set up amp or can you know where's the I physical mean, part of it i think and, for uh, me i've always said if i'm expecting people to believe that i can talk to people that are crossed over i need to be open-minded that there are way more other things that that we don't understand and be open to all those possibilities right it's a diverse and I think it was, universe yeah and i and it was not necessarily to talk about the the UAPs, um, but more to to say like I, I I'm I witnessed that you know I'm watching Chris Bledsoe go into this meditative sort of Zen state where other people would be 
their brain would be going, holy cow, we're having this experience and oh my goodness, and, and just going off the rails where he was like in this very Zen spot, which br brings me, one of the things I had wrote down was meditation. I just wrote down the word meditation and meditation. <laughs> I don't necessarily fit into the spiritual woo-woo rigid world either because I'm like meditation and I, and I love meditation and I can, and I do offer them for people guided meditations and and they're beautiful but i do not meditate on a daily basis i do not like long meditations i it's just and i saw in in the book when i was reading sort of similar to you that meditation is is a really hard practice and it was something that your dad really pushed uh in in expanding those muscles and growing those intuitive muscles and and I, as I was reading it, that was my thought was breath. It's really about relaxing through breath. For me, it's the breath work. The more you can breathe in and really relax and just whatever, however you get to that non-thinking space. And that's a meditative practice, you know, the yeah. breath, you know. Yeah. I think for him, what he found worked best for him and my uncle, because they did some experiments, actually, personal experiments. But he would he proposed doing two 15 minute sessions per day. So it wasn't like hours on end. Oh yeah. He felt like at 15 minutes, it's kind of um, reached the limit of benefit. Yeah. But I will tell you that before doing a demonstration, psychic or mediumship, he only needed 30 seconds to a minute. He would sit down, yeah. shut his eyes quietly. In fact, I remember sitting by him and I was talking all of a sudden, I realized he was doing that. And then I just shut up, but he would just sit with his hands in his lap, shut his eyes, take a few breaths and then he's there. He was just like, bam, I'm there. So yeah. I think he, he would do the meditation to supplement that, you know, in his own time, but each person's different. Very know? much so. And it's, it comes back to um, personal experiences that we've had, traumas that we've had, generational traumas, our, our personal healing journey. There's so many things that, that can, that can affect that. We're just getting some comments. Hi, I just want to put some of these out for you. So this is from Sandra. I'm intuitive and can recognize familiar energies and pick up images and impressions. I'm not at your skill level yet. I like that you added yet um, because it's a it's a journey. And and even uh, people who are are professional mediums, we're still we're constantly learning. There's still constant growth. That's or I'm hoping, you know, because we're still learning every day. Sure. And I'd ask Sandra, what is her goal? I mean, does she want to be a medium? Does she want to just have a, a sharpened intuition to guide herself in her own life? Good you know, so so what and what does she internally feel like her her place is or her purpose? If it is to do that, then and she wants to develop um, like my dad's book, you know, gives some instruction there. But I, I found personally, I've done test readings with friends, even though I know stuff about them. When I've done those, I've asked to receive information that I don't know. Exactly. And I, yeah. And that I was actually really successful in those. It doesn't mean I want to be a full-time medium. No. But, but I know how to get that and do that. Um, yeah. And, and one, one of the other medium friends I mentioned that I had dinner with, her, she had lost her boyfriend just, you know, um, a couple of months ago. And so I sat down quietly and I asked my dad, to give me some things that I could share with her. Um, and I, I got like a dozen different things. I wrote them down and then I visited her and I went through those and they're pretty much all true and correct, you know, and yeah. applicable to the boyfriend and, and things like uh, 
I remember I saw the hull of a ship and I thought, well, maybe it's a cruise ship. So put that down and lo and behold, they'd been talking about going on a cruise and right. stuff like that. So um, I think, you know, test yourself, refine yourself if that's what you want to do. So do test readings for people for free and see how yeah. they go, you know, and yeah. then the more of those you do, the better you get. If And if you don't do well, then maybe that's not what you're, you're looking for. You know, another exactly. spiritual gift is healing too. We need more healers. So you, you could try, you know, see if that's something that you're good at as well, whether that's learning like a, a healing practice. One that I learned was um, like, it's called Shigong or something like that. Oh but, yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's great. But it's like, you know, focusing on Let's the work again. and putting your hands above, or you could just do the old school laying on of hands of healing. So um I think, you know, there's a variety of spiritual gifts and all of us have some sort of gift and um, you could just have to figure out which one's, which one's suited for you. And I think uh, stretching it, like if we know it's all of our senses, if it's all five senses, so hear, uh, see, smell, taste, t uh, touch, or, or know, um, it's asking for, I always call it like the Coles notes. You get the Coles notes hits first that feel kind of general you know, mail, this, this, and then you can ask for two more pieces of information about each of those senses to go deeper and just ask to show more. And, and it's a way to build those muscles, like, but use each, each sense. And then you figure out which of those senses your is your strongest muscle and which ones you can work on to develop more too. Yeah. I think they use what's in your, your own library of images and thoughts and things as a library to refer to. So, like, for example, if they want you to say a name, maybe they'll show you a face of somebody that, you know, has a certain yes. name and that name <laughs> yeah. is the right name, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sandra, it, sorry, Sandra, I'm just going to put this back up for you. Um, I feel driven to pursue mediumship as well as other related areas, medical, intuitive, and I'm already certified in a few modalities. Sounds like you're on a really good path already and know the direction that you're feeling yeah. to go. So do more of these test readings, see how they go and, and be critical of yourself, you know, have them recorded, have the sitter give you honest feedback to see how accurate they are. And then if you find that, hey, I'm really hitting at a high mark and I'm giving information that's healing to the person, then you're on your path. Maybe you want to go through my certification program then after that, after you've done enough of those. Um, and the healing energy is great. I mean, that's underrated. That's it's a Wait. very beautiful and necessary thing. Very much underrated. I'm just going to. Hi, Kayla. Thank you for joining us. This was a fascinating. So this is again about belief systems. Cadessa Martins is just sharing a comment with us. Uh, my grandmother uh, told me when a baby is born with an umbilical cord wrapped around the neck, they'll go on to have a spiritual gift. My mom was born with it around her neck and she was gifted. She could see people that had passed, but she didn't proceed with her gift because she felt sick after doing her spiritual work. Um, I can't see that. She told us the room. Yeah, I, I think that's as far as the comment was okay. able, like the, the limit you for know, what she could type in. I've heard that about babies born with a call, um, right. which I guess is like a, something over their face or head. I don't know if those things are true or not. Maybe, right. um, maybe not. But I think um, the the idea that somebody got sick after doing spiritual work, 
I have heard that. I think what it is is your your own physical energy can be used in the process. So my dad would feel drained after doing demonstrations sometimes. And other, and even when I've done these test readings for people, I felt kind of tired and drained. Yeah. Um, I think that's why, you know, you want to limit how often you do them and how many you want to eat healthy and keep in good physical shape. And also, you know, ask for healing for yourself to recharge those batteries is kind of the thing. So you have to be balanced, I guess is what I would say, and be yeah. mindful of the need to take care of yourself as well. Um, because it can, you know, there's everything requires energy in this world and that's no exception. I just want to thank everybody who is joining us. If you are new in joining in on the conversation, you are listening to Spirit Switchboard. I am your host, Carrie Lynn Shellhorn, and you are listening to us live on the United Public Radio Network and the UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 New Orleans. And today on the show, we have Mark Ireland, and we are talking about uh, his new uh, book that was just released, The Persistence of the Soul. I think um, one of the the, uh, the things that oh, one of the things I had wrote down to talk about too was that um, in the grief journey, that crisis of faith, um, and that's something I see uh, a lot, uh, a, a lot um, is that that crisis of faith and how. Um, having a mediumship reading is, is therapeutic on all kinds of different levels for people. Yeah. I think the crisis of faith often happens in a way where people think of as, think of God as this parental figure in the sky and like, well, how could I, if I've been good and faithful to God, why am I going through this suffering and pain? Um, I think it's having to take a different look at it from a different angle, if you will, in that, you know, this life includes a lot of hurdles and, and tough spots, but it's not like there's some judging angry God up there that's not taking care of you or whatever. It's just things happen in a way. And I think I've seen folks who are maybe much more traditional than their religious background before, then they go through this and then they might have a mediumship reading and, and then it might open up their mind to, okay, maybe it's a little bit broader or different than the way I was thinking of it. Mm-hmm. And so they could have faith, but it's just in a different way now. It's not as narrow. You know what I'm saying? It's broader. Yeah. It's more comprehensive. And it's understanding that, um, you know, uh, we, we're going through this life. It's a temporary ride um, for all of us, um, but we are eternal beings and that our kids are still okay. And our other loved ones are, you know, just in the next realm and we'll be there at some point. So we just have to make the most of it while we're here because we are here for a purpose and we don't want to throw that away or undervalue it. Exactly. um, They have softer edges and less rigidness. And, but I've also encountered people who are spiritual. So those people who are, you know, in the love and lighter world, uh, yeah. that have very rigid viewpoints as, as well too. Um, so it's not just, you know, organized religions. Uh, it's also within the spiritual community, people can have very rigid uh, viewpoints. It's, I think the thing, it's such a shock to your system to love, to lose someone who's so close to you, like a child or a spouse, that no matter what your belief system, it almost yeah. doesn't matter for a little while. It's just, it's just earth shattering. 
Um, and it's going to cause you to reassess things or question things probably in the, in those early stages. Um, and then you, you know, you can have experiences after that that provide relief, like a mediumship reading or like a visitation of your own. Uh, one of the, one of the things I shared in my first book and I just touched on lightly in the second book was an experience that happened six months after Brandon's passing. Now, two weeks after Brandon passed, I had visited an intuitive for the first time. And she, she said one thing that stuck with me and it was within six months, you're going to see Brandon at the side of your bed. Okay. Well, at the six month mark, we had gone on a cruise for seven days. We just got home. Now we were going on this cruise to celebrate Brandon's graduation from high school, but since he couldn't go physically, we took his brother and his best buddy who had been on the mountain with him the day of his passing. Before leaving, we loaned Brandon's bass guitar, which I mentioned earlier, he played bass, to a musician friend, James Linton. James, we got to meet because he was on the mountain the same day Brandon died. He got there and tried to help, but he was there too late. Wow. Um, so we only met him because he had signed an online obituary and said, if you want to meet me and talk to me, call this number because I was there. So we did. We hooked up with him, connected, and became friends. So six months later here, you know, we've gone on this cruise, and Susie had loaned, my wife had loaned James Brandon's bass guitar because James is a, a composer, guitar player, and singer, and he was recording some new music in his in-home studio. So the day we get back from the cruise, Susie, my wife, is sitting at the foot of our bed, and she feels a presence and knows it's Brandon, and she sees him as a shadow figure out of her peripheral vision. The very next day, James calls Susie and said, hey, Susie, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell you. And she thought he'd broken the bass. And he says, well, I was in my studio recording the song and I felt another presence in there with me. And I saw the presence as a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. And I saw flashes of white light and I thought I was hallucinating. So I went and got water. Or I ate something. I took a shower. But each time I came back, it got stronger and stronger. And I finally said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And then he said at that point, he was guided to rework this song, the lyrics and the bass line. And at the end, he came up with something called The Other Side. He said, this is the best song I've ever written, but I didn't write it. Um, so it was pretty phenomenal. But whether you buy the channeling of the song, which I do, but if somebody doesn't, how do you explain away that dual experience on the day after my wife had one? The same feeling and the same peripheral vision of a yeah. shadow figure um, one day after her experience. That seems way beyond chance. It's, uh, um, but I just find it beautiful and magical. Like if we, if we looked at every day and all of those experiences, like a little kid waking up Christmas morning with a sense of wonder and, and how this is all going to come to us and, and be open to re and receptive. It's, it's magical. And that magical doesn't take the grief away, but it puts a salve on it. If you have a direct experience like that, that's about the best thing you could ever hope for. It's beyond right. even a good mediumship reading. Because you had it directly, directly with your loved one. So I'm just going to set this up from Contessa. Um, Contessa is sharing I lost three loved ones months apart from each other and found it very hard to deal with that I reached to mediums to help me with closure. It didn't help because I didn't hear from two of them. So what you said about being obsessed is true. can continue. I had to step back and stop. And now I wait patiently for signs. 
So first off, this comes back to why I started a medium certification program, because a lot of folks, I'll hear people go, I went to a medium and I didn't get this or I, you know, who should I see? You've got to go to somebody who's high caliber, who has a proven ability to provide evidence. If you don't, you know, how are you finding the medium? Did you just Google mediums? Did somebody tell you, you might try this person? Did you see an ad? Did you drive by a building that said psychic reader? You, you got to be careful. So you, you may well have gone to somebody who didn't have the ability to connect. It didn't mean your loved ones couldn't communicate. Um, so um, if you want, check out my site. I don't make a dime off of it. I have nothing to do with it financially. In fact, I've invested thousands of dollars and countless hours of my own time just to do that, to put it together as a public service. But if you want to try it again, and, and again, not too often, but if you want it, a reading, find somebody on that list. Um, and there's a link to it on my website, which is markirelandauthor.com. You'll find a link to the certified medium site on my site and check it out. Um, you might also try and develop a, a personal practice to, to co directly connect. And I'd say there's a few ways to do that. One I did that's been successful before going to bed at night, pray, ask in a prayerful way for a direct connection, a visit, and yeah. ask to remember it. Because sometimes exactly. we'll have that and they won't remember it. That's one way. Another is to sit. What I've done, I'll sit in a kind of a darkened room, a quiet room, and I'll just go into my own kind of meditation. And it's a guided one where I think, okay, I'm in this place that I used to sit with, with my kid or my loved one, um, whether it be a beach by a Creek or in a forest or whatever, you just put yourself in that place and invite them to come there and just sit there patiently. Um, sometimes you'll, you'll feel a tap on the shoulder. You'll, you'll feel someone come, you'll hug them. Um, and it's not and it's just very physical. Like it feels yeah. very, it's very real, that experience when they touch you. Yeah, you, you know, you, you think of it as imagination, but there's a fine line between imagination and intuition where those two meet and where these kind of phenomena can be facilitated by starting with that idea of using imagination to bridge you there. Um, and for people who, no matter what they try, they just can't get there. Um, there was a man named Dr. Alan Botkin who discovered by accident a process um, of a direct afterlife connection. It was through an EMDR therapy process. So he was okay. counseling these Vietnam vets who were uh, traumatized, who had PTSD because of all they'd seen or gone through in Vietnam. And then he used this EMDR practice to get them into an altered state to try and heal them. But by accident, when he went through this, he found some of them ended up in like this altered state of consciousness where they actually visited with people they'd killed in battle or in one case, one of the soldiers, there was a little Vietnamese girl that he kind of adopted and loved very much. And he, she was almost became like a daughter to him. And she was later killed in the war. Um, and then she visited him, you know, in this process as she'd grown up a lot. So uh, after that had happened, these people were emotionally healed. I mean, at a tremendous level, it was just transformative. Um, now, Botkin's retired, but he's taught other people to practice. So I don't know where to steer them. But if you Google the name Dr. Alan Botkin, if you want to try that, um, you should be able to find resources of people who have been trained in the technique. I actually know a couple in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area who uh, did this with another practitioner. And it was pretty remarkable what had happened. So the, the husband went first and it took a really long time. So it, it was a son that had passed. 
And so he was in there for several hours and finally he got to that place in that altered state of consciousness. And while in that, the son visited with him and said, hey, dad, this isn't going to work for mom. And then he said, ask mom about the color code book. And that so after he was done, the wife was going and he didn't say anything to discourage her. But he, you know, he remembered the son said it wouldn't work for her. Well, it didn't work for her. Um, but then he asked her, like, is there something about a color code book? And she said, yeah, well, before he died, we were reading this book. It was called The Color Code Book, and it was about association of colors with different emotions and things. So that I thought that was pretty remarkable to have such yeah. a specific piece of evidence come out of yeah. that. Super so there's fun. a number of ways to deal with this. You know, a mediumship is one, but it's not the only one. Exactly. I, I would take that practice a little bit further, too, in asking uh, at bedtime, you know, for a way to remember um, is setting it up like a date. So all week, you know, every time you pass that picture of them saying, Hey, remember you and me, we got a date Saturday, Saturday night and, and really setting that intention and then doing your best to be in a, a calm place. You know, it's not a high emotional day where you've been arguing with people and having a bad day at work. That's, that's not going to let you be open to it. So having, you know, as much of a calm day as you can leading into it, and then really setting that intention for it to come in in a way that you'll see here, feel and remember in, in the morning and, and to that it's a practice. So it may not work the first time and, and giving yourself a break too, so that you're not doing it you know, consistently and getting frustrated and closing down. So, you know, being gentle with yourself on that journey, because it's a journey. Sometimes people have a hard time connecting too, because they're just so emotionally raw. Exactly. So I agree. Not work until they're, you know, a little further along in their healing. And what I find when that, that happens, what I've observed uh, when the grief is so, so raw that it's creating their, that block is spirit will show up in other ways. Like you're standing in line at the grocery store and the people talking behind you say a phrase that your loved one used to say, or, you know, the name is on the back of a transport truck because you're on the highway and their name is right in front of you in bold letters on a transport truck, like all these, you know, weird and odd and wonderful ways that they can still let you know that they're there um, as well too. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's very nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michelle is just uh, Michelle. Palmer. I'll read it so you don't have to embarrass yourself. Okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Michelle Palmer says, "My reading from Carolyn really changed my entire perspective. It was life shifting." Thank you, Michelle. So that's what a good reading can do. Yeah, and it does for the reader, like it does for the medium too, like we are learning from the experiences uh, uh, that we share that, that and it's humbling. It, it, it really is a gift when we're able to, to be in that space for, for people. And we're learning from those stories uh, that, um, and it's trust. I always am thanking, thank you to spirit and thank you for the clients. Thank you for allowing me to do this. And thank you for trusting me to hold you in this, space because you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position when you're choosing to have a reading. Oh, I just wanted to bring this back up to Sandra was just, sorry, I missed some of these uh, comments. So Sandra was sharing that Edgar Casey got more and more sick with his readings. 
the more that he and that's true yeah um again maybe that goes back to the whole battery thing like you have to take care of yourself and be balanced and eat right and exercise and get enough sleep and maybe not overdo those but i think there's a lot of pressure on him too to do this quite often exactly and boundaries like for me it was really boundaries because at the very beginning i i saw this like so that whole term the gift that this is a gift that I needed to be of service. And I was doing six to eight readings a day, six days a week. I was just like in, in this place. That's of a crazy amount. <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> Let's all say burnout together. <laughs> and so needing to step back. And, and what I didn't realize too was the amount of healing that I was doing, shifting through doing those, my children who were extra sensitive were also experiencing that energy. So, you know, it was a whole family dynamic that that needed to shift how I was interacting with my children, interacting with spirit. And it, it was a really good, it was a very good learning curve for sure. I certainly don't work that way now. I'm a grandma. <laughs> I only grandma. do grandma things. <laughs> So my availability is still, you know, I'm still being of service in lots of different ways, but definitely, you know, taking the the time for sure. Um, I just want to pull this up and maybe you have a uh, something to share as well, too. Uh, Julie's just saying, hello, today is the first anniversary of my mother's passing. Um, that's a very raw day. Uh I'm very sorry. So is it common that people will experience a connection on special days like this or does it matter? Um, I've had them happen on special days. It doesn't always happen or either if it does, you maybe can miss it. But um, what I, my recommendation is just don't press too much. If something pops up unexpectedly, um, then you'll notice it. Um, but I wouldn't put too much expectation on that. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. It's nice when it does, um, but I think if you're just relaxed about it and just let it be, um, you might get a surprise that, that's very uplifting, um, but don't be discouraged if you don't. It's just like anything when you're hanging on really, yeah, high, um, uh, high intention, low attachment. Your intention is just to be open and aware, but no you know, fixed uh, attachment where you're hanging on really tight where there's no room for it to just be what it's going to be. Yeah, it's almost like some people who go into mediumship reading for the first time set all these rigid expectations and then the process is different than what they'd imagined, you know, yeah. what they get. And what I've heard and I think makes some sense is usually the sitter gets what they need, not what they want. Yeah, that that happens frequently frequently. Um, Julie's just saying good advice. Thank you so very much. Um, yeah, I, I find, uh, you know, I have to remind people in a room to breathe because there's that expectation. So people hold their breath and you can feel that in a room when people are holding their, when they're all holding their breath. And, and yeah, I'm like this, I, I cover my eyes. I go, I can't even look at y'all. I'm just going to cover my eyes and take a deep breath and just do what I need to do and not look at you. <laughs> And sometimes, <laughs> no, a lot of times, everybody knows, I don't wear my glasses when I'm working either, so I can't really see people. And then it's because I'm a sympathy crier. So if people start to cry, I just don't do well. So if I can't see you, I can just keep plugging along and doing what I need to do. And then I'll give you a hug at the end if we're in person. But sometimes... All the mediums I know are in the same boat. Yeah. yeah. They, <laughs> they can't get too close to you emotionally. They have to yeah. remain yes. um, um, objective, 
you know, just a, emotionally a detached, loving observer. Detached observer is the term my father used, I think, in his yeah. book. Yeah. And I, I sometimes uh, I prefer the telephone sessions because I can't see them so that I can just focus on what I'm needing to do. And 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 that's better for me. And it's funny you mentioned that you like to work with your eyes closed because when I've done this and I've been successful, I shut my eyes. Yeah. And it's because I don't see the visions if my eyes are open. Now, others I talk to, they do. Oh, yeah. Um, but for me, I have to shut my eyes. Um, otherwise, I don't see the visuals in my mind's eye that I need to share yeah. the symbols that I see. So, And that's good that you figured that out. And that's what I encourage people. Try with your hand over your heart, your hand down, your inside ear, outside ear, inside eye, outside eye. Like you have to explore all the different ways to figure out how it's going to work best for you. Sandra is just sharing Wednesday was the anniversary of my mom's passing. I often feel her presence, but my sister got her first taste of the paranormal and called me crying and I was able to help her. Good. Yeah. Sometimes people don't know what that means or don't know what to make of an experience. So um, they lean maybe on folks who do have a better knowledge and understanding of some of those things and can make calm people down a bit and there's appreciate it. Exactly. And there always has to be one that's going to be the leader in the family structure and, and take those steps forward so that you do have the um, soft landing spot for those people uh, that are needing support when it finally, you know, when those experiences happen for them. Your uncle, like your uncle, your uncle, well, you had a really good, you had lots of people um, in that space that you could turn to. Yeah, totally. I think that helped accelerate my healing, you know, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I've heard a comment. Uh, I think that I would like to uh, approach this if, um, in seeking out those people, like finding a group. Uh, you had mentioned like a, a grave support group or finding uh, other people that have um, had those same experiences. Uh, um, I've heard from a few people that it was hard to be in those places when they were um, starting to live life uh, and not so stuck in their grief to be in those spaces where other people were really stuck in their grief and it was really raw. So, you know, it's just like uh, counseling or, or other therapy. You sometimes have to try a few on before you find the right fit. It's interesting you bring that point up because the reason that helping parents heal exists is because the other parent support groups out there that existed before us would not allow the open discussion of spiritual experiences or uh, afterlife evidence. So what would happen is you get people in there and the whole time they're pretty much recounting how angry they are, the frustration, what happened to their child and how they're still suffering after 10 years. So some of the folks, you know, would come over to us. And since we do allow that, that's a key part of our um, whole program is to talk about these and even bring in speakers and mediums and stuff like that to that the healing process kind of accelerates. And so um, we don't typically see many people that are stuck forever in their grief. We see them progress. Oh, I'm not saying there's none, but because there's always going to be some, but uh, I think we, I would just say we have a, I think a much higher success rate from what I've heard. I've not been to the meetings of the other places and I'm not going to name them because they're no. doing their best, you know, and some yep. people love them and it works for some people, but that's the big differentiator. And I think that's, 
maybe why that happens in some cases. I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, um, and that's, that's how I, I encourage people. It, it just isn't the right fit, but it's okay to keep looking, you know, don't, don't feel like everyone is going to be that way because it's not, it's, it's, it's the same with me. It's the same with any job, right? Any, any job you're going to drive with some and not with others. And it's okay to speak your truth if it's not driving for you. And it, it's, Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting what you said uh, when we come back to um, responsibility and accountability and seeking out credible people, um, credible mediums. Uh, I would also encourage people to, when you're asking for recommendations, asking what that person's intentions were for seeking out an intuitive person because everyone's intentions are different where they seek enclosure connection. Do they want to know, do they want to know when they're going to win the lottery? Do they want to know when things are going to change? Like everyone has a very different reason uh, for connecting. So making sure you ask what their intentions were because they may have had a great experience, but they wanted to know, you know, if the people on the other side were lining up the new boyfriend or the new job or it telling them what to do, not necessarily yeah. empowering them. So I think that's an important piece to to acknowledge. Yeah. I mean, in some cases, people are just looking for psychic information, not necessarily yeah. connecting with someone on the other side. And being able to know the diff being able to know the the difference between the two and uh yeah, educating people is is so important. Educating people to know how to make those choices. Um, yeah, it's so funny really- how everybody, you know, people often want to just turn to somebody else for the answers instead of looking within, and they the answers are often within if you could just quiet yourself down, mm-hmm. you know. And when you follow the path, you'll see the breadcrumbs kind of lay out and things unfold the right way. You know, you're on the right path. Yeah, exactly, and. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel sometimes people just are not ready for me. So I warn people, this is how I work and this is how it's going to lay out. And this is exactly what you can expect. This is how I work. Here you go. And and if it's about psychic stuff like that, it's like, well, why don't you have a boyfriend or why is it money flowing? Because your people are going to show me where the original source of, of that created the block and we're going to start from there. So you need to be ready to get raw. And, and then we move forward and not everybody wants that. So it's really being clear about what you're willing to do on your part in the reading and being open-minded, like, because even people in spirit are going to tell you to be open-minded to your own healing path and journey. So you don't, you're not giving your power away and to that medium and you're not giving your power away to the people that are crossed over because you guys are the ones that are living. So I've had people who wanted a reading and then, they got set up with one and then they ended up talking to the medium the whole time. Like they're, they're looking for a therapist and said, they're just like wanting to tell them everything. It's like, no, if you're, if you're going to a medium, you yeah. don't volunteer information. Yeah. <laughs> you, you make them do the work. And if you, wait, you know? Yeah. If you follow me on social media at all, I always put this hashtag and it says hashtag shush with love because when I'm doing events or if I'm talking, I actually do this little hand thing. No, shush, stop talking. No, <laughs> don't <laughs> shush. <laughs> so everybody like has this. Uh, yeah, actually 
I actually had hoodies and t-shirts made. I had swag made that said shush with love on it so that everybody knew that they were just needing to sit there and don't talk. <laughs> if you want to tell the medium everything that they said, right, wait till the very end when they're done. Then you yeah, can give them the and, feedback. And I think that's what it is. There's just a, a, a hope or an expectation. And when they see that it's being met, but I find the exact, uh, what also happens is other people maybe in this space see that their people didn't come through and how come theirs didn't come through. So it's, it, you know, that's also very hard to. Well, in know. a group reading, a gift to one is a gift to all. Right. Come with that expectation. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, I'm just going to put this back up. I'm sorry, Linda. I mean, you know what? I saw you comment about that earlier and I, I, conversation kept going so so thank i thank you for being patient while we we did this thank you for that linda that's nice she's just uh so linda earl is sharing when you uh were both talking about brandon's life earlier wind chimes played twice during that piece that's lovely um sorry that's a very sweet So what would what would be next in the journey of research? Like research doesn't stop. Well, there aren't many people doing this kind of research, to be frank, unfortunately, because academia is still wrapped up into materialism and yeah. it's kind of on the periphery. So I think one thing that would help is more funding. Um, today, I'd say that... Um, Winbridge is one that's doing this work uh, and the University of Virginia and Arizona had been doing it in the past. I don't know how much is going on there now. Uh, so U of A was the Human Energy Systems Laboratory, um, which I don't think that exists anymore, but there may, may still be some work going on there um, done by Gary Schwartz. And then um, at the UVA, they're doing theirs is more focused on uh, reincarnation research and um, near-death experience research. Dr. Bruce Grayson pretty much with the NDE research, but he's getting ready to retire. Uh, Jim Tucker does has been doing a lot of the reincarnation research, kind of taking, following on the heels of Dr. Ian Stevenson, who founded the department. Um, and Winbridge is an independent organization that does the mediumship research. So that's a good place to you know donate, I would say, if you wanna see more of that work done. It would be nice to get some more universities to the point where they're actually willing to consider looking at this and, and yeah. diving into it. You know, I think at this point, those of us who are in the field know that it's real. We don't need proof. Um, if they want to learn more about it, that'd be great. Um, and I think because of this resistance in academia, to me, I just feel like the way that er everything's going, it's, it's more of a grassroots thing. Like we're providing this tsunami of, yeah. of, of, interest in this because there's no more important question like i said before than you know who are we why are we here and where are we going um so we're going to steamroll this thing and we're the taxpayers so these publicly funded universities need to study what we want them to whether they like it or not yeah. and there are some folks that have gone into this and studied this stuff um but you know they're fighting an uphill battle even for their job security when they do because uh, it's kind of taboo yeah, yeah, and and that's it exactly. It's it's their reputation on the line, um, and 
some people like the prestige of their position and not wanting to yeah. get knocked out yeah. of that. Uh, I know my daughter struggled when she went to university. She did her her master, like her undergrad, and then her masters. And you know, hearing people talk and like her professors talk about people like her mom was really challenging to hear um, what they would say in such a derogatory way. Yeah, they've already made up their mind. This is this is tomfoolery. This isn't real. You know, those people are deluded. Or they're, or they're trying to steal your money, you know, that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, there are some out there who are like that. Sure. And they provide a bad name, you know, and they need to be identified and um, dealt with. But um, there's a, plenty of folks that have this ability and um, they're very good at it and they need to be recognized. And that's another side reason why my uh, certification program is there. Those folks that have passed that appreciate it so much because it is kind of a badge they can wear, um, even though it's not through a university, but they said, hey, I, I went through this gauntlet and I passed. So, and they yeah. hang their hat on that a little bit. So I'm and glad to help can they contact, Where would they contact you? Is that through the website as well too? Yeah, um, let's go to the website. So what you do is just because I steer everybody to one website and then there's links to all the others. So Perfect. if they come to my website, there's a link to my dad's videos. There's a links to helping parents heal. There's a link to the certified medium site. All of those links are there. And my website is markirelandauthor.com, which you have on the ticker there, but the people on the radio can't see that. So yeah. it's Mark, Mark with a K, Ireland like the country, author, markirelandauthor.com. Thank you so much for sharing time and space and energy and uh, your story, Brandon's story, your dad's story. Like, thank you so much for um putting yourself in that vulnerable position and transparent position and, and being so transparent with all of us. And sure. well, I appreciate the opportunity to share with folks and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. So if they were looking for your book, same thing, head to the website. Yeah. The books, I've got three of them out there. Um, two of mine and my dad's um, are there on the site. They're available. And I've got links to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the retailers in fact, the new book, it's available in Amazon in 11 countries now. It's wow. only in English right now, but it's in, in 11 countries. Right. Plus, you got Barnes & Noble books, a million, I think, and some others. So, And even if you have like a local bookshop, if they'll either have it or you can have them ordered if you prefer going that way. So it's I got with a good publisher this time, uh, Bear Inner Traditions. They're big. They've got good marketing and good distribution. Yes, they they distribute through Random House. So I feel blessed to have had that opportunity um, to have that situation. And um, yeah. anyhow, yeah. thanks to everybody listening today. I wish you all the best and um, yeah, hope to connect with you someday in the future. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for being here. Sandra's just saying thank you to Thank you both. Uh, next week on uh, Spirit Switchboard, um, we have uh, Grant Evans coming on. Grant is going to be uh, chatting with with me and you guys about uh, different things like orbs, uh, phantom smells, uh, doors uh, shutting. So is it paranormal? How? You can tell the difference between paranormal, explainable, or what the heck. So that's going to be next week. So thank you to all of the uh, people that chimed in in the conversation. We appreciate you very much. Thank you to the United Public Radio Network and the UFO Paranormal Network, 105.3 and 107.7 New Orleans.